shields and surrender your ships. Hi, this is Kenny from California, and you're listening to the Treks and Sci-Fi Podcast. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Yeah, thanks for that intro, Kenny. Always great to hear from you. Yes, this is Rico, and this is the Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast, uh, episode number 131 for July 22nd, 2007. Got a lot to talk about today. Our primary topic, not taco, topic, is going to be the classic sci-fi TV show Space 1999. Got some other news and information, some collectible talk as well, uh, and some listener uh, commentary on audio so i think it's going to be a real fun show i just also want to say that today's show is brought to you in part by audible.com one of the leading providers of internet audio and audio books on the internet if you'd like to uh, sign up for free and get a free downloadable audiobook visit audible.com slash treks and check out that url for more details i'll talk about that a little later in the show as well so uh, let's get started. Welcome again to the show, everyone, this week. This is Rico, your host for Treks in Sci-Fi. Got a uh, lot of things to talk about this week. It's uh, been, a, uh, as always, a busy week for myself. We got ourselves a, uh, a new puppy. That's what's going on at the uh, at the Rico, Dosti family household. Uh, we uh, picked up our, uh, well, the neighbors didn't have to really pick her up. Uh, they had nine puppies uh, back in June, our neighbors uh, right next door to us. Nine golden retriever puppies, and we we've been uh, eyeing one for a while, a girl. And uh, my wife Lynn brought her uh, to uh, her new house here on Thursday. Yeah, it was Thursday last week, and uh, she's uh, a real cutie. Her name is Kaylee. Uh, yes, kind of named after Kaylee on Firefly slash Serenity. Uh, the uh, the mama dog's name was Zoe, and I always kind of like the name Kaylee for. Uh, uh, for a variety of reasons, I always thought it was a nice name, and it seems to suit her. And it's a, it's a nice, easy name to say. I, I've always thought with pets, uh, with dogs, cats, whatever. Uh, I guess dogs and cats. I don't know if hamsters and things respond to calling their name, but I always thought for dogs, especially, you, you know, you need a nice name that you can kind of yell out. And uh, Kaylee with the nice, strong two syllables is easy in the backyard. Kaylee, come here, you know, kind of a thing. So. So anyway, we've got this uh, cute little golden retriever puppy now. Actually, if you visit, uh, I've been playing around with it this past uh, this weekend uh, as she's kind of getting used to her new home. I set up a little webcam. Uh, you know, hey, me, Mr. Technology, decided to put a little web camera in the kitchen area where we're keeping her uh, kind of confi- confined right now until we get her completely housebroken. But we've got her in there, and I got a little laptop, set up a web camera. And so if you go to the treksf.com website, uh, you well, actually, I'm sorry, not on the website. I have it uh, visible via the uh, forum. So you're going to have to click go to the treksf.com 
website, then click on the forums link, and there is a little web camera going on in the forums. Hey, see, another good reason to join the forums besides visiting with all the other cool uh, sci-fi geeks and uh, fans there and and great people that we've got on the forums. The RPG game is going. Season 3 has started up, and yes, Rico has even uh, got some extra time. Well, not really extra time, but I've made some extra time to participate, so... We're, uh, we're doing some fun things there. Yeah, so sign up on the forums and check out the Kaylee Cam. Well, I hope everyone's been enjoying their summer. It's been rather mild here uh, in Michigan for July. It's been rather cool, actually. We've been down around 50 or so Fahrenheit in the evening, uh, or in the night, I should say. And then during the day, it's been getting eh, almost maybe 80, high 70s, 80, which is real, real mild, actually, for July in Michigan. Usually it's much more warm. The humidity is kind of down, so it's it's very pleasant right now. It's kind of nice with the new dog, too, and don't have to ha- have the house too sealed up with air conditioning and all that on if it was really hot and humid. But So the weather here has been nice. I hope it's w- nice wherever you're, up, all, you're at. Uh, but the, uh, the bad thing is, in about a week, I've mentioned, I think, on, on a couple of the previous podcasts, yes, from July 29th to August 7th, I will be in Taiwan. The plan, again, is to uh, try to have a podcast ready for you on that weekend. I'm going to be gone. There will be a a regular, pretty regular podcast next weekend as well, just to kind of get you up to date on the schedule and everything. I'll have a normal one next weekend. That will be uh, probably most likely about an original series Trek episode. And then the weekend that I'm actually gone, which will be like the first weekend in August, I'm hoping to have sort of a special little podcast uh, that uh, I've got a couple of possibilities for that going right now, and uh, I'm going to try to have that kind of set up to go before I leave. So uh, got uh, kind of some interesting things. I think you'll all enjoy that. So that's what's coming up in the future. Rico has the best sci-fi and Star Trek information on the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Hey, let's get into some uh, news and things. Uh, I found some interesting stuff. I was trying to prep for the podcast, get some things on Space 1999, some audio and, and hunting around the Internet like I normally do before I start the show, get some information. Uh, there's an interesting little uh, interview up with Matt Damon. Uh, if you go to the excellent website, trekmovie.com, there, uh, he, he usually keeps everyone very up-to-date on any of the movie news and information Uh but the, I think his name is Anthony that runs that site. Uh, I'm not sure if he's always listening. I know he's listened to the podcast, this podcast before, but there's a link to an interview with Matt Damon. You know, Matt Damon's been the the rumor for a long time to be playing uh, the young Kirk in the next film uh, being worked on by J.J. Abrams. But Matt Damon kind of squashes this rumor quite a bit. He says that he has actually uh, definitely spoken to J.J. Abrams about the rumor, and the the talk here, the the comments that he makes is basically J.J. Abrams saying, yes, we're looking for somebody to play young Kirk for the movie, but we're looking for somebody, an actor, that would be much younger. You know, I think Matt Damon's in his 30s now. He still looks fairly young, I think, but I think they're looking for somebody that could pass as Kirk in his Academy days, which would kind of rule, I think, Damon out. I don't, I mean, he could probably pull it off, but... I think they'd be better off going with somebody younger, just in case they actually do further movies in this sort of time frame as well. So that kind of squashed that uh, that rumor. The uh, Zachary Quinto, who plays Siler on Heroes Rumor, 
and wanting to play Spock in the movie is also still kind of going strong. That one really hasn't been squashed yet, but the uh, still the story is that next week at uh, Comic-Con in San Diego, and I know Kenny, who did the intro for this week's show, is going to be there, and hopefully he'll have a lot of good information and reports back from Comic-Con, especially on Star Trek news, so we're counting on you, Kenny, to send some audio in for... Uh, for the show and get us up to date on the latest uh, news uh, about the movie. For those uh, gamers out there that are into these MMO-type games like World of Warcraft and uh, EverQuest, other games like that, you know, of course, they've been working on this Star Trek Online game for quite a while now and are continuing to uh, develop it and work on it. There is some new information up. They're starting a, a regular, I guess, I don't know how regular it's going to be updated, blog over at the main website for the game, StarTrekOnline.com. And they've got a whole uh, article there about how they're creating the different worlds and stuff that you'll visit in the game. It's a real interesting read. they got some graphics and some pictures up of the software and things that they're using to create the game uh, environments and that, which uh, it's pretty exciting. And I'm not still sure when this game is due. I don't think it's... I'm not, I don't think it's going to be 2008. I think it's going to probably be more like 2009. If they were smart about it, you know, the movie, uh, the next Trek movie is supposed to be out, of course, uh, Christmas Day 2008, and they'd be very smart to try to create a, if they're going to put this online game out, to have the online game come out somewhere near that time frame, either just before or just after the movie comes out. That would be uh, a wise choice. So check out StarTrekOnline.com for more information on that. On the Star Wars side of things, of course, uh, next week I'm sure there'll be a lot of Star Wars things going on at Comic-Con in San Diego. The latest issue of the Star Wars Insider, uh, number 95, is starting to uh, show up for subscribers. It also looks like the uh, Star Wars, that Star Wars Legacy special that the History Channel put out, which was an excellent special. Uh, if you haven't caught that yet, you know, stay tuned and, and check your listings on the History Channel for that special. It was really uh, a great job they did on that. It's been nominated uh, for three different Emmys, uh, for the, it's sort of in the nonfiction category for directing, writing, and for outstanding uh, nonfiction special. It really, uh, they did a great job of tying in all the sort of historical and mythological ties that Star Wars has within it to uh, to modern day and past day myths and things. I really enjoyed watching that. One of the best Star Wars specials I think I've ever seen. So definitely check that out on the History Channel if you get a chance. Uh, really, really a great special. I want to come with you to Alderaan. There's nothing for me here now. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Okay, that, uh, that about wraps up the, the news and information I kind of wanted to pass on. Oh, one other thing, uh, and it may have been out for a week or two, but I first saw it just this past week. There is a new, uh, you can see it, uh, I'll just type in Google or YouTube or whatever. There's a new cool video out for the next Star Wars game, The Force Unleashed, the sort of new advanced next-gen graphic extravaganza that they're putting out by LucasArts, which will be out in 2008. Uh, looks cool. I mean, this is Jedi to the nth degree if, that you get to play. I think it's going to come out for the next-gen consoles like Xbox 360 and that, and also probably for PC as well, I'm pretty sure. So check out that trailer. It's really neat. Uh, I really enjoyed watching that. 
But next up, I've got another uh, little commentary by James Earl. He's uh, got some comments about the next uh, Flash Gordon, or the new Flash Gordon, I should say, not next. Well, the next Flash Gordon incarnation that uh, Flash Gordon's going to start showing on the Sci-Fi Channel in August, uh, here in the States at least. So listen to James Earl talk about that. And for some reason, James uh, was kind of referring to a, a first call that he sent in that sort of got cut off, and I'm not sure what happened, but I didn't get that voicemail, James, just to let you know I got your second version, but I think it contains everything pretty much that you wanted to say. So here's James and his uh, comments about Flash Gordon. Hey, everyone. But the uh, the final show that I want to talk about um, is Flash Gordon. Uh, it's coming on in uh, on August 10th um, at 9 p.m. with a 90-minute special premiere episode. Um... I've never watched the original Flash Gordon. It, uh, it's starting on Sci-Fi Channel. They're remaking it. And we'll see how it goes. Um, I never watched it, so I don't know much about it, but I wanted to mention it because it really looks interesting. I've read a little bit about it. Um, seen the articles with like Ming, the Merciless, uh, or not the Merciless, uh, presumably. Because um, uh, they're changing his name to just Ming um, instead of Ming the Merciless um, uh, from the old series. Um... But it looks pretty interesting, so I'm going to watch it. It starts on August 10th, 2007 at 9 p.m. on Sci-Fi. And check it out. It should be really interesting. Um, so that will that's all I have to say about the summer shows. Um, make sure you check out all the shows I talked about. Um, Kyle XY, Doctor Who, Flash Gordon, uh, Who Wants to Be a Superhero, and Eureka. I believe that's it. And um, I've, I'm really enjoying uh, the forums, by the way. I'm started working on there as Lost Trekkie. Um, it's really inter- interesting. There's a lot of nice people. I haven't gotten a lot of chance to talk to uh, everyone on there, um, be on there a lot, because uh, I had to go to Mexico, and in a few days I'm going to have to leave for uh, Boy Scout camp, and I'm going to be up there for a month as a uh, counselor in training. But um, I'm really enjoying the forums, and so I hope uh, I hope uh, everyone's enjoyed my reviews, and I really uh, enjoy you uh, allowing me to be on the show, Rico. Um, so have a good summer, everyone, and I'm Looking forward to hearing more episodes, Rico. And have a good uh, summer. Bye. Well, thanks uh, very much uh, for that. Uh, it was uh, good to hear from you again, James. Glad you're back in the safe and sound from Mexico. And, yes, Flash Gordon. Uh, you know, the, the old Buster Crab, I think that's the main actor that played uh, Flash Gordon in the old serials uh, way back. Uh, or was it him? I'm not sure. I always get uh, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, uh, the 1930s serials mixed up. Uh, I'm not really an expert on those, but I, I think it was Buster Crabbe that played Flash, but I think it might have been someone else too. So, sorry about that. I'm not an expert, but the I do remember the uh, the 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 Queen music filled uh, movie from uh, around 1980, I believe, or so it came out uh, with the music, which they seem to be sort of using for the commercials I've been seeing on the Sci-Fi Channel for this Flash Gordon show. So we'll see how serious they take uh, they take it with the show. They haven't been showing a whole lot that I've caught, at least so far, previews for it. So we'll see what works out. It's uh, the, the main guy playing Flash used to play on Smallville. He was like Clark's nemesis. He was that football jock uh oh what was his name i'm blanking out on his name but he was the football jock in the first few seasons uh on smallville and he's playing the the character of flash in the new tv so show i think his last name is johnson eric johnson i think perhaps anyway check it out in august 
I got an email from somebody named Micah uh, about uh, my last week's show on relics, and I just wanted to pass on. He had some information about uh, kind of what happened to Scotty at the end of that episode. You know, they give him the little shuttlecraft, and he takes off. Uh, I guess there are several books, which I haven't read these, uh, that sort of continue Scotty's adventures. One of them he mentions in his email called Engines of Destiny. Uh, Scotty actually uh, figures out a way to go back in time to the period of generations to stop uh, what happens to Kirk uh, being pulled into the little nexus and ending up, you know, working with Picard to uh, stop Soren in, in the Generations movie. Scotty actually finds a way to go back, save Kirk from uh, being pulled into the nexus. But, of course, that changes a lot of history for the Next Generation crew uh, where Picard doesn't have the help of Kirk to stop Soren, so Picard actually dies and so forth and so on, and, and things happen. But it sounds like a lot of interesting books out there uh, based on what Scotty is doing uh, in the 24th century, so check those out if you're interested. And speaking of books, uh, we have another uh, book review this week by The Duffster. This is another Trek book. Uh, it's called Trek to Mad World, and here he is uh, from the readamoresci-fi.com website. So here's The Duffster. Hey everyone, this is Duffster, and this is your Trek Book Review, brought to you by ReadMoreSciFi.com. Today's book we're going to talk about is Trek to Mad World by Stephen Golden. This book was uh, published in January of 1979. A um, couple little interesting tidbits. Stephen Golden was married to uh, Kathleen Skye at the time, who wrote the uh, book Vulcan. He tried to uh, create a light-hearted Star Trek novel, and it, this was kind of light-hearted. He, he wanted to model it kind of like Trouble with Tribbles by David Gerald. Um, I, I don't think he quite got to that level. Uh, th- th- this this book was okay, but it, it definitely wasn't ever those like shore leave and uh, Trouble with Tribbles that he was trying to get to. Um, one interesting thing about the book is there's an intro by uh, David Gerald, and he lets loose the information that uh, Stephen Golden is actually a were koala. Um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting, uh, and, and in fact, it's it, unfortunately it's one of the better parts of the book's more humorous things is 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 reading the intro by David Gerald. Uh, I think uh, David Stephen fell into one of the traps that. You know, we read these Star Trek books, and these are short books, especially at the Banna book level, the very beginning ones, and we want to read about the crew. He felt a little constrained by what the crew could do and how he can move, so he brought in a, a guest star, he called it, another character, and a lot of the book was based on that person. Well, um, this book had the Organians in it. It was a rebel Organian, which is kind of an idea, interesting idea, but I don't think it ever fully manifested in the book it it's a decent book but it's definitely not one of the one of my favorites um i'm going to give this one uh well two and a half out of five of longer prospers um pick it up if you if you you'd like uh interesting star trek books uh but it's definitely not one of the better ones if you're just looking to to target the best of the best um so anyway this is duffster and i want to leave you with the following read more science fiction ta-ta Thanks very much. Uh, as always, Duffster, really appreciate uh, your book reviews. We actually, uh, speaking of the book scene, uh, I've got that book as well. I got a lot of the early Trek books, which I think I've said before, and kind of fizzled out a little bit reading them because they started to put produce too many of them. And I've, I've lately, I've started to get back into it with the Titan series. 
uh, featuring the adventures of Riker on his own ship and that, which have been pretty good so far. So it's good. And, uh, and it, well, on the, a book-related note, we finally uh, showed up yesterday from Amazon.com. I was thinking they were going to miss it, but we got the next Harry Potter book, and I'm not, of course, going to talk about it at all. Actually, I'm gonna. my wife's reading the book right now. That's the last uh, Potter book. And I am going to be throwing it in my suitcase and taking it with me to Taiwan next week. Going to try to hold off uh, uh, reading it until then. I figured it'll be a nice thing to be able to read on that long plane ride uh, there. And, uh, you know, at the hotel and on the plane ride back or whatever. So you get a lot of kind of on these business trips, especially that far from home, you get a lot of downtime. So having a good book to read is is a lot of help. So looking forward to that. Thanks uh, again once more to the Duffster for his great book reviews. And check out his website at readmoresci-fi.com. This show is part of the Out of This World Entertainment on the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, tsfpn.com. Now, after just uh, 20 minutes or so into the show, which is a good pace, uh, I think, uh, we're going to get into the main topic. Uh, hopefully, I, I didn't spend too much time talking about news and other things, but... I've decided to to sort of stretch that hour podcast limit a little bit more. I, I think I've been trying to force things, cram things into an hour a little too tightly. I figure what's a few more megabytes to download, everyone. I haven't had one email ever saying, hey, how come your show is so long and the, the file size is so big? Uh, why don't you shorten it up? I haven't ever had an – I don't think since I've been doing the podcast a show uh, that's come out uh, even when they go to about an hour and – 15, 20 minutes. I don't think I've ever had an email that said that. So I'm not going to try to cram it down into an hour unless I really uh, feel it's appropriate. So with all that said, let's get into the main topic for the week, Space 1999. Now this series uh, is is really a classic uh, along, I, I don't know if I want to put it up into you know the, the original Trek series uh, realm as, as far as that, because obviously that, you know, Star Trek has spawned so many other TV series after it the movies, so many books, and so forth. But what I will say, though, about Space 1999, now this is a, uh, a British-made television show made by uh, basically Jerry Anderson, along with his uh, wife. Uh, it was first put out uh, in 1975 uh, uh, via the ITC Entertainment Network. Uh, and as a British TV show, they had just a, a little difference to, like uh, Star Trek did, the original series and other sci-fi shows. It, it just has, uh, and we'll get into this as we talk about the show for those not familiar with it. Uh, but I don't want to get too deep into it. I, I did want to first uh, come out and say what I was referring to before, though, about it, calling it kind of a classic. Uh, the reason I said that was the time frame. Space 1999 came out in 1975, 1976, I believe. It first premiered in the United States in syndication. And until that time, the, you know, the only real serious sci-fi show I would consider that was on the air, besides the older ones like Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, which I've talked about before, uh, was Star Trek, uh, which ended in 1969. So when Space 1999 came along uh, in the uh, mid-late 70s, this was, uh, for starving sci-fi fans like myself growing up, this was the, the first time we had some, you know, kind of a serious new live-action sci-fi show on the air. And it really, uh, well, I, I really enjoyed watching it when it first came out. It was quite a bit different than Trek. Uh, they did two seasons of it, uh, 24 episodes each season for a total of 48 episodes. Kind of a short uh, short series, only two whole seasons, uh 
But uh, a lot of very cool episodes, a lot of cool writing going on. And uh, like I said, we'll get into the details of that uh, here in a moment. The unique uh, thing about Space 1999 is how different the two seasons are from each other. And I'll be talking about that as well. But I thought I'd start off uh, with some of the audio that I captured uh, early this morning and prepping for the show. The first thing, of course, I've got to play is they had some really excellent uh, music. And I'm going to talk about that, too, as I go uh, for this TV show. And you can hear some of that. And it's sort of electronic and kind of futuristic kind of sounding, I guess you'd call it. Uh, in this main theme song. This is the intro theme song music uh, that they used for the first season. So listen to this, and I'll be back, and we'll get into the meat of Season 1 for Space 1999. have the theme uh, opening music for Space 1999. Uh, the theme song there is done by Barry Gray, who was a, uh, a longtime music uh, associate and worked a lot with Jerry Anderson on a lot of Jerry Anderson's uh, older TV series like the Super Marionation type shows like the Thunderbirds and Stingray, I think was another one, Captain Scarlet, uh, a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Jerry Anderson shows, and this was his biggest uh, I think uh, series ever that he did. Uh, Jerry Anderson, uh, of course, worked on the show with his wife Sylvia Anderson. Uh, actually, uh, unfortunately, at the time of this show, when they were producing it and putting it together, uh, they were having a lot of marital problems, and Sylvia kind of left uh, between the seasons, uh, pretty much washed her hands of it, and they ended up getting divorced. So that's uh, one, uh, possibly one of the things that that you know, is one of the reasons why season one and season two are, is, are so different for this show, but kind of getting a little ahead of myself. Let's go back. Uh, for those, again, not familiar with Space 1999, uh, first I'll say uh, all the episodes are out on DVD. They have a nice uh, a complete uh, DVD set that's out and a nice box uh, thing. I think you can probably still find on Amazon and those types of sites. Uh, check eBay as well, but this show uh, was... Again, the first probably real huge, expensive sci-fi TV series, well, really the only one live action that was done uh, post-Star Trek from 1969. So there was a good five or so years uh, that went by before this show came out. Actually, this show was filmed a, uh, earlier before its premiere, a couple of years before that, uh, back in 73, 74, and didn't show up, like I said, in the States and think, until 1976. It starred uh, Martin Landau as Commander John Koenig. He was uh, the commander of this moon base. Uh, the, the basic premise of this show is the following. 
there is a uh, in in the year 1999, which seems a little dated now, but that's not that big of a an issue. Uh, there is a uh, a moon base of of about 300 people living on the moon, and they have you know life support, and they have these cool ships called Eagles that fly them around the moon and back and forth to Earth and so forth. And one of the main reasons this this is called Moon Base Alpha, their little home there on the moon, on the light side of the moon. The, the One of the primary reasons that this moon base is set up is in the future, at least in the, uh, the Space 1999 future that they create, there is a, a growing need to dispose of nuclear waste, nuclear waste that's being generated uh, on the Earth uh, to power uh, you know, electricity and so forth on the planet. Uh, they got to get rid of it somewhere. And the idea is, well, hey, you know what? We got this big moon sitting out there. Why don't we dump this uh, all this nuclear waste onto the moon? So they have Moon Base Alpha with uh, Commander John Koenig taking. Uh, actually, in the first episode, he is just a suit, uh, beginning his command of Moon Base Alpha. There was another guy, a Russian guy, uh, Grigorsky or something like that, that they relieved, and Koenig is is going into. Uh, taking over for as commander of the moon base so that's kind of a little uh kind of sets up some of the early episodes because he's a fresh uh, commander for the base with all the personnel there and the other thing that's going on in the first episode is they're they've sort of discovered this signal from this planet called meta which is a nearby uh what they consider a habitable planet and they're going to be launching a mission to that which this is all taking place in the first episode so but this is the premise they have a moon base. There's all this nuclear waste. They got to stick it in these little underground little containment areas on the moon. It's it, they're really um, you know polluting up the moon with all this nuclear waste, and it starts to show that there's uh, some problems. There are these huge like sort of electrical storms that that start to happen on the moon base, and it creates uh, a lot of uh, panic and some people, some of the astronauts. Uh, I, I don't know if they. I'm trying to think if they were ever really referred to themselves on the moon base as astronauts, but the effects and look of this series are is really reminiscent. The reason I threw the word astronauts out there is really reminiscent of NASA and the space program. I'd say it's probably one of the most realistic looking uh, uh, on the special effects sides TV series that they've ever done in the sci-fi realm. They look very functional. The the transports that they use, uh, they still have sound in space, though for the most part. When uh, things happen and there's explosions and stuff like that, they still have sound. But it has a very 2001 uh, a space odyssey look to the visual effects uh, that were worked on by uh, Brian Johnson primarily and a lot of other people. A really cool looking show. The costumes on that side uh, were done by a guy named uh, Rudy Gernrich. I think I've got his name written here. Uh, really interesting costumes, especially for season one. Very, uh, I think back in the 70s, everyone thought in the future that people would only wear like sort of black, white, grays. Very monotone looking uh, uniforms. The base itself was sort of a monotone look to it as well. So this, uh, not a lot of color in the future for some reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, let's get back to the people on the show. I kind of skipped over that. I started it. Martin Landau, John Koenig. Uh, his wife in real life, Barbara Bain, played Dr. Helena Russell, basically sort of like the, the uh, chief medical officer, uh, Yeah, sort of like the Dr. McCoy person on Moonbase Alpha. And an actor named Barry Morse uh, played uh, Dr. Uh, Victor Bergman. He was sort of like a scientist uh, 
on Moonbase Alpha. Along with a lot of other uh, actors, uh, some cool characters, uh, and I'll talk about those as we go throughout the show. Uh, um, one of them I, I always liked, uh, Alan, uh, who was like the, the prime uh, lead uh, Eagle pilot. The ships that they flew around were called Eagles, uh, which, again, looked very realistic, sort of like, you know, you could see a little, uh, think of them almost as something NASA might eventually develop. Uh, very cool little spacecraft those were. And a lot of collectibles have been put out over the years, which I'll talk about later on from, from this uh, show. Yeah, this uh, this show kind of also paved the way for something interesting, which was uh, syndication. This, again, a, a fairly expensive sci-fi show that was uh, very hard, and, and basically they weren't able to sell it to the networks to broadcast it. So they decided to put it into syndication. So, you know, back in those days, there wasn't really cable TV around. So, you know, most people would have some UHF stations in their areas, and this would show up on the weekends typically uh, and at least in Michigan, when I was watching it growing up, that's when it showed up uh, on one of those UHF stations. And you would be able to, you know, you would have to catch it when it was on. Nobody had DVRs, no VCRs really available. And you'd have to watch it when it was on and, and find, uh, you know, your local network and when they were showing it. Uh, so that was a little bit tricky. The it's been it's been a really popular show uh, worldwide, almost maybe more popular in certain countries of the world than uh, even in the United States, perhaps. But let's go back to episode one. I've got a couple of clips uh, from this episode to play. Uh, the first one is this is in uh, a little shuttle that uh, is bringing Commander Koenig, played by Martin Landau, to Moonbase Alpha uh, to take over and start his first command. So listen to this audio clip. Commander Koenig. We'll be landing at Moonbase Alpha at 23.35 lunar time. Coffee, Commander. Thank you. I've got Commissioner Simmons on a video call from Earth, Commander. I'll take it. Ah, John. Well, you're signed, sealed, and approved. The Space Commission's just ratified your appointment as Commander of Moonbase Alpha. What about Commander Gorski? Oh, I uh, relieved him of his command an hour ago. He's not your problem, John. Now, your job is to put man on meta. Any new information? How do you like this? The first close-up shot of the planet Meta, taken from the unmanned Spacefarer 9, just in. An atmosphere. Well, not only that. We're receiving signals, loud and clear, relayed from the same probe. There's no doubt about it. Planet Meta could be supporting life as we know it. John, the Metaprobe astronaut virus infection mustn't be allowed to stop us. We must make a man landing on Meta. Nothing must stop us. Nothing. Good luck. Yeah, the actor there talking to uh, Martin Landau's character, John Koenig, uh, talking to him, uh, he's uh, played by Roy Deutris. Is that how you say his last name? Deutris? Roy Deutris, who's a great character actor, was uh, uh, Vincent on Beauty and the Beast's father. If you know that show, he played on that show for uh, the seasons it was on the air. So that uh, that sets up the premise there to begin with. Again, uh, Martin Landau, John Koenig's taking over Moonbase Alpha. They're putting all the little nuclear waste down in these little silos. Uh, there's a preliminary explosion. This happens in this episode the uh, called Breakaway, the first episode of, 
uh, of the series itself. And that there, then there, of course, is the big explosion that happens in the first episode. And that's what uh, this is the sets into motion the premise of the whole series. And that's the this huge uh, nuclear explosion that takes place on the moon propels the moon, pushes it out of Earth's orbit, and pushes it out into um, a journey through space, sort of like the, you know, lost in space a bit with the Jupiter 2 kind of flying out of control, if everyone, you know, from the 60s knows that TV show as well. Of course, scientists have always dismissed and said, you know, any explosion that happens on the moon that would be enough to push it out of Earth's orbit would either do one of two things, would either, depending on where the explosion took place, it would be, uh, if it was powerful enough to push the moon out of the orbit of the Earth, you know, the gravitational pull of the Earth, it would probably basically just blow the moon apart. Uh, the Or the other thing would happen if it was a, a, in a slightly different direction, it would make the moon come crashing down to Earth. So, you know, Space 1999, just like any sci-fi show, even Star Trek, you have to sort of, uh, there's a little suspension of disbelief there. And, and the big one for this series is that, this explosion that takes place that pushes the moon out of Earth's orbit uh, would uh, would really physically and through physics not really have, you know really be able to happen. But you have to sort of let that go. They used uh, wormholes, black suns, uh, time warps, uh, weird space phenomena throughout the series to help propel the moon from different uh, planetary systems from kind of one to the other. It uh, you know they weren't just sort of pushed out from this explosion then kept on going and and you know even sped up or anything like that because even if you could get past that they could push the moon out of orbit somehow the time it would still take for that moon to travel to other solar systems would just be you know well literally astronomical it would be huge amounts of time which they got around it like I said by these weird space phenomena sometimes sort of uh, mystical things would happen especially in season one. Uh, or beings of some kind of supreme uh, huge amounts of uh, power or whatever would would take the moon from one place to another. Things like that would happen. So that's the premise. The uh, other clip from this first episode that I do want to play, though, is when this whole thing happens, when this uh, explosion takes place and the moon is pushed out of Earth's orbit. So listen to this. Abort the mission. Main mission to all eagles. Return to base immediately. Repeat, return to base immediately.
I do your copy. Alpha, I'm not receiving you. Now, maybe you're receiving me. The moon is going out of the Earth's orbit. That explosion. It has pushed us out of the Earth's orbit. Alpha, can you hear me? So there you go. The uh, the moon. We lose the moon uh, from the Earth. It gets blasted out through this nuclear waste, going up uh, in a big, big, big explosion. the The thing I also wanted to mention here was that it, they they pick up some transmissions from Earth after this happens, and and you know it's been it, it's a pretty scientifically proven fact that there are a lot of things that the moon uh, does for the Earth: tides, of course, um, weather patterns, lots of uh, things. Uh, you know, animals even respond to them, the whole lunar cycle. Huge amount of things that the Earth uh, gets from the moon's influence over the centuries that it's been there, of course, the billions of years. And with the moon gone from the Earth's orbit, uh, this this has a, a lot of catastrophic effects on, on life on Earth itself. They, they, they hint about this a little bit uh, in the first episode, and, and I think maybe perhaps a few other times throughout the series uh nothing in great depth but it it definitely does some serious damage to the earth uh with the moon being gone so i wanted to say that as well now the first season uh let's let's just talk about that in general the the first year of space 1999 is is for most fans considered the better of the two Uh, i'll talk more about season two here in a couple seconds or minutes more like minutes yes but it, uh, the, the first season had some really interesting episodes. Uh, they, a lot of times they dealt with sort of what I'd consider like metaphysical things. There was one episode in particular that I wanted to mention. Uh, but a lot of these episodes were uh, sort of some science involved. But a lot of it was things like faith and, and what people believe in and what, what if situations. There was a very cool episode called War Games, which took place pretty much in the mind of Commander Koenig with... There were these alien ships coming at um, Moonbase Alpha, and they were trying to decide whether they should attack first or what they should do. And he sort of plays out, well, actually, I'm sorry, the these aliens, uh, I think if I remember right, and now I'm sorry I'm blanking out a little bit here, but the he gets in his mind what would happen if he does attack. And you see this whole episode sort of play out, and you think this is really happening. The Moonbase almost gets destroyed completely. Uh, lots of bad things happen, and then it flashes at the very end of the episode back to, okay, do we shoot at these ships or do we not shoot at these ships? And it was an alien kind of, the way it was, now that I'm remembering, the aliens were kind of testing uh, the the Moonbase Alpha personnel, Commander Koenig, about what their intentions were, if they were hostile or not. It really reminded me a lot of the Corbomite maneuver from the original Star Trek series, that, uh, that particular episode called War Games, really a cool one. They have these ships called Hawks, which look like a, a sort of a, a, a very cool, souped-up version of the Eagles, and they're going to go at each other. Very good episode, that one, War Games from Season 1. But again, a lot of these episodes were not just like, oh, here's this problem, or here are the aliens are doing this, we've got to solve problem A, B, and C, and then we go on, uh, or whatever. Uh, they're difficult for me to describe. I, I highly recommend the series. You pick it up on DVD or rent some if you've never seen it. It's well worth it. I'll I'll talk more about that towards the end of uh, this uh, Space 1999 segment. But I did want to play another clip from the first season before we get into talking about the second season. 
this one is from this episode called Black Sun, and the uh, the moon is being moved or getting pulled into a, a basically a black sun, a black hole. And Victor, the the scientist played by Vera Morris, has come up with the solution of this force shield to protect Moonbase Alpha. But of course, he realizes that this is a a joke that the the, the gravitational forces of what this uh, this thing will put out will just rip the moon apart. Uh, and this is they they go through the the black sun and they all sort of get into this weird eerie sort of almost translucent state and then uh, they come out of it and and you know a lot of these things that they solve in the first season you, you never understand why there was another uh, I think another episode that was very cool called the last sunset these probes come down on the moon and they they drop all these different little uh, uh, cylinders on the moon base and it fills basically it creates a atmosphere on the moon there's an atmosphere there starts to be rain and weather and all that kind of stuff uh, and it's a, it's an interesting idea, and you get to see them sort of playing outdoors on the moon uh, with the, you know the gray kind of uh, dust and, and things. Just a lot of cool cool episodes. But here's some uh, some audio from the Black Sun episode. A few minutes ago, Paul asked, "Can we avoid the gravitational force of a black sun?" Well, the answer is no. However, we may be able to use it to our advantage. Victor. Hmm. Now, as you know, these eight anti-gravity towers stabilize our gravity here inside Alpha. And we're going to use them to create an entirely new force field effect by linking and cross-linking the anti-gravity screens in each of the towers. The force field will look something like this. I've stripped all of our generators out of our eagles. We'll use them to support the main units. But computer will have to be deactivated for the force field. Yes, well, um, they can do with the rest. We're going to reprogram our main unit generators so that instead of trying to negate the pressure from the black sun, it will simply reverse it. The closer we're drawn to it, the stronger the force field will become. So that, theoretically, the pressure of the force field will eventually compel the pressure of the black sun to protect us against itself. It's a long shot, but there's nothing else we can do. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the people in that uh, clip there, the guy who's kind of upset that they're going to shut down uh, computer main computer, is a guy a character uh, named David Cano Cano Cano, I think is how you said it. Uh, that's is uh, Kano, and he's uh, very protective of computer. He actually can sort of interface and plug into the main computer, which was an interesting concept back in the '70s. You know, sort of like a, it reminded me a little bit of uh, sort of a matrix matrix like thing where he plugs in to the main computer system. Played by uh, that uh, actor uh, that played Kano is uh, his name is Clifton Jones, uh, who was only in the first season. Which brings me to. Uh, the point I want to make uh, here as we sort of segue into Season 2 of Space 1999 is the fact that they did a lot of changes to the show for uh, between Season 1 and Season 2. Uh, one of them was a lot of the actors that were in Season 1 didn't show up again for Season 2. Uh, Martin Landau's character, Barbara Bain, uh, Nick Tate, who played the Alan Carter role, the chief pilot, very popular uh Xenia Morton, Merton, I think is her the actress's name, uh, played Sandra or San as her she was named. She she shows up in 
season two, those actors, but just about uh, all the rest of the secondary kind of actors uh, from the show pretty much disappear from season one to season two. Uh, the biggest probably of those was Barry Morris's character, Professor Victor uh, Bergman, who was very important for uh, a lot of the science end of things and solving problems for season one, didn't come back for season two. Now, there are a few reasons for this. Uh, reason one, uh, the uh, the rumor around town, especially with Barry Morse's, uh, in his case, was there was salary uh, disputes. The typical thing, you know, uh, I want more money for the next season. Uh, no, we don't want to pay you. We'll just get some other actors. That was one kind of uh, slightly important. I don't think it's as critical as the, the bigger one, which was, uh, like I said earlier, Sylvie Anderson, Jerry Anderson's wife, kind of uh, faded out of uh, production on the show for season two, and they brought in uh, this guy named Fred Freiberger, who Star Trek fans uh, will either will know and sort of hate a little bit. He is the guy that came in as a producer for the third season of Star Trek of the original series, which is considered to be generally not as good, nearly as good as seasons one and two of the original series. He made a lot of changes. The, the episodes, uh, the writing wasn't nearly the, the quality that it had in the first couple of years and so forth. So, But he came in uh, with uh, as this big producer role in the second season and made a huge number of changes to the show, brought in a couple of new actors, Catherine Schell in the role of Maya, uh, and uh, Tony Verdeschi, uh, played by Tony Anholt, who uh, was now second-in-command, sort of like... Uh, Martin Landau's Commander Koenig's number one on the show. So lots of things happened and changed for season two. Hey, let's play the uh, main music theme. That was another thing that changed in season two. They changed the the title sequence that they used for the theme song. So here's season two's intro for Space So they, uh, they dropped the music uh, sequence and title sequence they used for season one uh, for this uh, new composition by a guy named Derek Wadsworth for uh, season two. He did the music for, for that theme and for a lot of season two. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention about the title sequence I didn't mention before I should have, but uh, for the first season, they had this technique uh, where they showed uh, scenes from the episode that was coming up during the main title sequence for current sci-fi fans uh those fans of the ron moore battlestar galactica that is uh what he uses on that show now you know if you notice uh, on battlestar galactica they'll show this quick little cut scenes almost sort of like a very fast trailer for the episode at the beginning of each week's episode and they did this ron moore actually kind of uh he freely admits he stole that idea and and uh sequence from space 1999 which is where they did it as well they've done it on other television shows as well uh i believe you know especially in the in the 60s and 70s they seem to be doing that quite a bit 
I've actually never really liked, personally liked that technique that much. I, I actually skip through it when I watch Battlestar Galactica because I'm always afraid it's giving too much away of the story before I actually sit down and see it. So it's I'm not a huge fan of that technique, but it is kind of neat, and it also is a way, you know, it's a way to tease the audience and get them to watch the show. So that's one of the reasons they do it. Now, like I was saying uh, before I played the theme, a lot of changes took place for Season 2. They brought in some new actors. The The biggest probably one uh, that they brought in was this uh, actress named Catherine Schell, who played a new alien character uh, called Maya. Now, keep in mind, uh, until this point, there were no aliens aboard Moonbase Alpha, well, except the, the bad guys that would show up and try to destroy the Moonbase or, or do something. There were no aliens that were permanent characters uh, as part of the crew, part of the uh, cast, part of Moonbase Alpha. But they decided... Uh, uh, Fred Freiberger, who came in, uh, decided that, hey, we should add somebody. You know, Spock was so popular on Star Trek, let's add an alien. So they added this character of Maya. She was uh, known as a metamorph from uh, she was a, from a race called Psychons, uh, which I never really thought that was the greatest name in the world for a race of aliens, the Psychons. They sound like they're psycho or whatever. But they have she has the ability to uh, metamorph, to, to tra- change her basically her whole look and appearance into pretty much anything else uh whether it's a creature another person look like them uh she has uh this ability which is very handy and adds some sort of uh cool uh wow factor to the show for uh space 1999 in season two it it helped them out quite a bit in the series you know she could change into a bird when they're on a planet and scout things out she could change into somebody else that you know if she wanted to look like one of the other people on move base alpha if there was something going on that she needed to impersonate somebody, they could do that. It was lots of uh, interesting ways that they used this technique. Uh, she could even, in, in, in one episode, I remember she changed into this creature that had the ability to walk out on the surface of the moon without any type of, uh, you know, uh, spacesuit or anything like that because, of course, the surface of the moon still uh, didn't have any atmosphere, you know, when that they did do that episode in the first season where they added an atmosphere, but it went away by the end of the episode, so... A lot of cool things uh, Catherine Schell was able to bring to the role of Maya. And unlike Spock, she had emotions. She got kind of involved in a relationship with the new character of uh, security guy, uh, Tony Verdeschi, who was the second-in-command guy, played by Tony Anholt, who uh, did a good job. Uh, you know, a tough thing with a lot, so many changes they did to this series between season one and two. They're actually very much different shows. Uh, when you watch it, you'll notice... Uh, it's probably, to me, one of the the biggest changes I've ever seen in a series from one season to another That in these two seasons of Space 1999. Uh, really, a lot of changes. The look of the show, they added a lot more color. Uh, the the main sort of, it wasn't really called a bridge, but main, main mission or main control, I forget what it's called, uh, was changed to a different set. The whole uh, uh, main set that they used for the show each episode was, was changed, the appearance. They had this new view screen, new consoles, uh, very uh, different type of show in season two. A lot more emotional, a lot more action-adventure, action-packed than all the metaphysical things they did in season uh, one of Space 1999. So lots of changes. Some of them good, some of them maybe not so good. I've enjoyed uh, I enjoyed both seasons. I, I think that they both have some good things about them. But again, it's almost like watching two different TV shows. I've got a clip I want to play from one of the episodes here. This is a clip about this group of aliens uh, that come that are called the Dorkons, who are after Maya. Uh, there were a couple episodes that Maya was, um, you know, aliens would show up and they'd want her for some reason. Uh, 
and she uh you know she would help both get the crew into trouble and sometimes get them out of trouble both ways which kind of like what spock did being a vulcan uh he solved just as many things as he sometimes would create due to his uh his heritage a little bit uh but anyway uh here is a clip from the episode called the dorkons for centuries they've pursued my people hunting us like animals why am i the Dorkons control all the forces of nature except one, death. They know that through us they can achieve immortality. Commander, promise me you won't let them take me alive. Commander, I'm getting a signal. Greetings, Commander. I am Consul Varda of the planet Dorka. We journeyed half the galaxy to meet your people. Yes, and attacked one of my crew. We regret the necessity of our action. We needed confirmation. A question would have been the simple and harmless way to do it. You are right, of course, Commander. Forgive us. I'll withhold my forgiveness until I'm sure of your intentions. Our intentions are peaceful. I represent the Imperial Archon, supreme leader of the Federated Worlds of Dorkon. All right. Now we know who you are. What do you want? Your cooperation. We're always ready to cooperate. For the common good. But your actions so far make me doubt your intentions. You have a psychon among your people. Yes, we have. Arrange to transport her up to our ship immediately. Negative. Invade, Uncle. We waste time. There is no need. Commander, the Psycom will tell you how futile it is to resist us. Resistance is futile. Maya, we are not going to let them take you. Barda, thank you for demonstrating your peaceful intentions. Commander, do as I ask or I will be forced to demonstrate my power. Tony, lasers. Yes, sir. Oh yeah, that was a uh, that was another thing that they did for season two. The Moonbase Alpha uh, got uh, some more weaponry. They had, they usually would have to fight uh, aliens uh, ship to ship for, with their eagles and uh, limited weapons they had, but the Moonbase itself kind of got a sort of a shield uh uh, lasers, things like that, uh, which protected and, and sort of upped the action-adventure quotient, like I said, uh, for Season 2. Now, f- when Fred uh, Freiberger comes in, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. I've I, I've known about this guy forever, but who knows. And, but uh, there was a lot of uh, disputes among the cast, Martin Landau particularly, about the script quality and the writing in Season 2. He he even would send notes on scripts back uh, to the producers and Jerry Anderson. He was the, the cast was becoming increasingly displeased. Uh, but Freiberger, uh, I guess the story goes that the more they kind of complained, the more he just sort of pushed ahead. Uh, so, you know, between that and the expensive cost of this series, it kind of ended it at the end of season two, which is kind of unfortunate. There were a lot of more stories they could have told. Uh, the character of Maya, played by Catherine Schell, was. Uh, pretty interesting uh one little side note about her the actress Catherine Schell uh who was actually in one of the Bond movies uh also and uh 
she uh, ended up uh, later in life, she opened a hotel in France, which I think is still open to this day. I'll try to include something on it in the podcast notes, uh, but a lot of Space 1999 fans go to France, specifically stay at this hotel, just to, on the off chance that they might be able to meet her. I, I guess she's uh, her health hasn't been that great. She's in her 60s, I believe, now, uh, but she's got this hotel in France uh, that she runs. That That's what happened to her, and you know, uh, Martin Landau, Barbara Bain, they've gone on to a pretty good careers, especially Martin Landau. I thought the acting overall in this series wasn't necessarily top-notch. Uh, I think Martin Landau is a much more seasoned, better actor now than he was back in then. You know, he comes off as a little wooden, almost a little hammy sometimes, almost a little uh, William Shatner-like uh, to a degree. But uh, but a great series overall. Space 1999, a really wonderful show. All out on DVD. Uh, definitely check it out if you haven't had a chance. But I, I did want to end this with a fairly long uh, clip. I decided I'm going to include it into the podcast. This is about seven minutes long. What this is, back in around 1999, which would have been you know, when Space 1999 uh, first uh, happened in, in the series, at least, if you know what I mean, they uh, had uh, Xenia Morton, who played Zahn on the show, uh, create this little uh clip uh with uh you know there's not there's a tiny little set she's speaking on and it's sort of like a an epilogue to space 1999 it's well i'm not going to tell you too much about it but it's a you can find it on youtube i'll try to link it in the podcast notes as well but i'm going to play the audio of it for you right now because there's really not much to see but this is kind of a nice little capper to the series because when season two ended for space 1999 they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't really have a chance to sort of finish the series off. But this uh, video that they did uh, back in 1999 kind of ends the series a little bit for everyone that are fans. Uh, so I'll play that for you now, and then I'll be back after uh, this fairly long clip. This is Moonbase Alpha calling Earth. This is Moonbase Alpha calling Earth. This We cannot know if you will receive this message, or if memory survives or even exists in your time of who we were, what our purpose was, and the disaster that took us on our random journey through the infinite reaches of space and time. We calculate it is some 20 years since we lost contact with you. For us, this has been a time of dangers overcome, knowledge revealed, of mysteries encountered, perceptions altered, and a growing conviction of a higher purpose in everything that we have witnessed and endured. These long years have stretched to the limit our will to survive as individuals and as a community, and overcoming our greatest test, the struggle to hold true to our unique birthright, the humanity that is common to all of us from Earth. That is the past. For now, a new and even greater challenge awaits us. For some time now, our life support systems have shown increasing decay. Total failure, though not imminent, seems inevitable. Last week, however, we encountered an intense gravitational disturbance which has catapulted our moon into this totally unknown solar system. Sensors indicate... One planet is habitable, but it will only be in range for six short days. Insufficient time to calculate the long-term risks of leaving the base and settling there. 
So the painful collective decision was taken to abandon Alpha, one that was greatly disputed. As I speak now, Operation Exodus has taken place. Commander Koenig and the others have begun to settle on our new world, Terra Alpha. The final eagle waits for me, for I am the last person to abandon the base. Soon the planet will be out of range, and though predictions indicate a slingshot effect will return the moon to the planet in 25 years, we cannot be certain, nor can we base our actions on it occurring. However, one thing is certain. Moonbase Alpha is no more. For many of us, it was our most difficult decision. Though deserted and silent now, Alpha was our refuge. We can never forget our life here. The good and happy times, as well as our moments of despair and heartbreak. Here, friendships flourished. Bonds were forged. It was Maya the Psychon who helped us to understand that we are all aliens until we get to know each other. The memory of what we shared here will forever remain part of the very fabric of this place. Our home, Alpha. I am making this transmission firstly to those of you who knew of our existence and wondered what became of us, and to enlighten those on an earth who may have never known us. People of the same world who are strangers yet familiar to us through the mysterious effects of time and space. And finally, we want you all to know that we, the people of Moonbase Alpha, did exist. Our presence, the knowledge of Earth and her people, their strengths and weaknesses, pride and arrogance, genius and insignificance, has an imprint on this vast universe that we share with so many races and beings. And to state our belief that although our moon's progress was random, our odyssey does have a purpose. One still in the act of revealing itself. It is time for me to end this brief message and to face the uncertain life and great challenges on our new world. Computer's final task will be to encode this message using a device Maya designed. She believes that it will enable this transmission to navigate the complexities of time and space and reach you on Earth. To Professor Bergman, Michael, Dear Paul, Luke and Anna on your new Arcadia. We will never forget you. And to Alpha, wherever you go on your onward journey, our hearts will go with you. And hope for reunion in the future will not fade. And finally, to you, the people of planet Earth, we say goodbye.
and ask but one thing. Remember us? Remember us? So there you had a uh, message from Moonbase Alpha, kind of a little fitting little capper and ending, uh, which was done uh, by uh, Xenia Merton. I think I've been saying her last name wrong. Sorry, Xenia. Uh, played uh, San on the show, Sandra Benz, uh, one of the computer people on Alpha. You know, nice thing, you know, with these days of fairly easy uh, videos you can create, uh, it's kind of too bad that they don't do that more on TV shows and things. You know, that, that end abruptly like uh, uh, TV people like to pull the plug on these shows nowadays. But uh, there you go, Space 1999, very cool show from the mid-70s uh, and uh, very uh, well, uh, you know, just produced, looked great, uh, looked amazing really for the time. It even still holds up today, I think, the look of the show pretty much. It's really uh, an amazing show. You should definitely check it out if you're a sci-fi fan and you've never had a chance to see it. Uh, and we've got uh, a little, one last little clip here for all, um, on the subject for the subject of Space 1999. It's uh, by our buddy Rick Moyer. So here's Rick's take on Space 1999. Hey, Rico. This is Rick from Aberdeen, Moyer777 on the forums. And I just wanted to say thanks for talking about Space 1999. I remember when I was a kid, I thought that show was so cool. Um, I really, really thought it was awesome, uh, especially their their ships, like the Eagles. I thought the Eagles were so neat. I had one of those um, given to me for a birthday or Christmas. I can't remember which. And, man, I played with that all the time, pretended to fly it all around. It was just such a cool um, ship and the way that they designed the props. The show was great. I really liked their, their uh, lasers because they looked like staple guns, and I'd go grab the staple gun out of my dad's uh, garage and, and use that and pretend like it was my... my uh, my phaser or, or laser gun i don't know what they call them but it was just a it was a great show it reminded me of 2001 space odyssey and the the things that they did on it was just awesome and they had that one lady that changed into animals and just a, a really cool concept i loved how the moon got out of the orbit of the earth and was kind of on its trek across the stars and it just was a cool show all the way around i mean now that i look at it it's kind of cheesy, but at the time when I was a kid, it was really cool. So, uh, again, thanks, Rico, for covering Space 1999, and have a great day. Hey, thanks a lot for uh, that great uh, commentary on Space 1999. Rick, I'm glad you enjoyed the show as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a cool show. It's, it is a little dated perhaps now, but I, uh, I still enjoy pulling out the DVDs and watching it now and then. I did want to mention here uh, audible.com. It's a really cool website. They've got uh, basically a lot of books on, on audio, uh, and I want to say books on tape, but it's not really books on tape anymore that audible.com does. They uh, have downloadable books of all different types and, and you know, like over 35,000 titles. Uh, lots of cool sci-fi books on there, Star Trek and Star Wars books. Star Wars books, I downloaded one uh, a while back and listened to it. it it's, it's really nice, and with everyone having these MP3 players and you know, iPods these days, and if you've got a long commute, it's a, it's a great way to pass the time, besides listening to uh, podcasts like Treks and Sci-Fi. 
And Audible has uh, has got a really nice deal for everyone right now. If you go to audible.com slash treks, that's T-R-E-K-S, audible.com slash treks, you can download a free book, any book, pick it out, download it, uh, and nothing more, no commitment to buy anything else, and check it out. It's a, a great way to try out their service for free. Uh, you can pick a book, uh, you know, pull, pull up some cool sci-fi book you've been just not having the time to uh, to read and go over to audible.com slash treks and download it. I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's a very cool service. Check them out. All right, I'll, uh, I'll try to make sure I keep uh, all the stuff I've been talking about, as I usually do each week, put it in the podcast notes, which you can get to off the main Trek SF website. Uh, also, uh, and probably now is a good time to uh, say that you can always call into the show. Uh, The voicemail number is 206-666-6627 or email me at treksf at gmail.com. Got one last little bit of business to talk about, and that is on the collectible side of things. I figured since it was a Space 1999 type of week uh, podcast, we can show this, uh, this one that I just talked about. Duh. <laughs> if you've been listening or still listening, I want to talk about some cool collectibles. There's a company called Product Enterprise Limited, and I will put their uh, website. I think it's just productenterprise.com is how you get there. I was just looking at them earlier. Yeah, just productenterprise.com. They have some very cool Space 1999 collectibles, a lot of the Eagles and, and other ships that were featured on the show, and I've got one of them, the Eagle Transporter. These are uh, mainly die-cast metal, very well done, a little more expensive than your average toy would be, but well worth it just because of the quality they put into the uh, the vehicles that they produce from the show. I'll take some pictures and post a link to my Eagle Transporter from Product Enterprise. There's also, and I have to look up, I, I'm not, unfortunately, sorry, I don't have the website handy, but there is a company that's producing... There were two main props that were featured on the Space 1990 show a lot. They had a communication device called a Comlock, which had a little video screen in it, and they always carried around in their belts. And then, of course, they had the little laser pistols, like Rick uh, said earlier, look kind of like a staple gun. There's a company putting out, I think it should be out towards the end of this year, a very cool collectible set of those uh, with uh, uh, you know some very high-level features and paint jobs on them. There are a lot of companies that have done these replicas. I even, when I was growing up, built them out of like cardboard and painted them. They came out okay. i got to see if I still have those around. If I still have them around somewhere, I'll put, a, I'll put them up in my collectible gallery off the main website, and you can look at those. I, I, somewhere they're stuffed away in a box, I think. But uh, Product Enterprise is, is a good place to look for Space 1999 collectibles if you're interested. And I will put a link up for that other place that's producing the Comlock and uh, Laser Stun Gun. Uh, you know that stun gun that they had could could either kill or it could stun. It just had it just had a two simple settings on that gun: kill or stun, which I always thought was kind of fun. I mean, what else do you need, right? So there's your uh, collectible Space 1999 segment for this week, and that's going to just about wrap up this week's show. Uh, I want to thank everyone, as always, for listening to the podcast. Uh, one little bit of business you can always do to help me out is throw a review up on iTunes if you like the show or at Podcast Alley. Uh, a vote each month there would really help me out. So until next time, next week will be a TOS episode, probably from Season 2, I believe. Uh, but I will talk to you again then next week. Uh, take a look at the forums if you're interested. We're trying some new things out there. I'm doing a guest the Star Trek episode each day, which reminds me I've got to put up today's entry on there. Uh, 
We've had some people guess them pretty quickly, which uh, these guys are, are really good at Trek trivia. So if you think you know your Star Trek, join up on the forums and, and check out that. And we've got the RPG game going still. Lots of cool things there. So everyone, thanks for listening, downloading this week to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. I'll talk to everyone again soon next time. Bye-bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.